Good morning, church. How are you? Good morning. It's good to see you here today. Isn't it good that we know a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Amen. Doesn't matter what the circumstances are today, what they're going to be in the future. You can have confidence because he is eternal, and that means he's here even right now. Hey, before we jump in for today, I uh, wanted to give you a quick update on Give United. Uh, we, if you've not been with us all through September, we were in a special giving emphasis. We gave a challenge of, hey, we want to meet our budgetary need for the month, and then on top of that, anything that comes in, we're going to shower out on a bunch of folks. Uh, and so we uh, have kind of finished that up, and actually while we're doing that, we are going to continue our giving through tithes and offerings. This is our normal tithe and offering, so you're going to see some uh, offering baskets on the left. Go ahead and grab that, if you will, and pass them on down to your row. And I will come pick that up in just a second. Uh, but listen, well, we uh, finished this on Friday. So there are still a few things coming in through the mail and this and that kind of squeezing in under that deadline. We all love deadlines. And so I don't have a final number for you, but I can tell you this. We did meet our budgetary goal for the month. And on top of that, we've got over $24,000 that we're going to be showering out on other people. And I already know that that number is going to go up. So that's really exciting. It really is. Uh, and so next week, I'll have like a final tally for you, uh, because, but I'm very excited. I heard about a couple things even today uh, that are going to make that number go up as well. Uh, and then we'll be telling everybody else about uh, which ones we'll be able to fulfill and at what amount. We're very excited to make a lot of people happy. Uh, this week, as we start pouring that money out on tons of different organizations right here in our area. So let me just say thank you for your faithfulness. Look, this is what Give United always shows to us is that there's more than enough resources here in our congregation as we faith give to not only meet our needs, but to be able then to give generously all out into the area. And so let me just encourage you to stay faithful and to continue to give. Some of you jumped on for the very first time. I encourage you to continue to give. I mean, let's continue to be faithful so we can continue to be generous. But I'm excited to share that higher number with you next week as well. But grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to be today. As we continue our sermon series on worldview. We are trying to look at the world in the way that the Lord sees things, the way they actually are, because we understand now that there is a world system of values and ideas that actually sets itself in uh, opposition to the Lord. And because we live in that world and we're a part of that world, we might take on some of those ideas. And so we're learning, okay, how do I have a biblical worldview? We've learned a couple things along the way. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the, at the Bible itself. We found out that it is not only accurate, it is trustworthy, but it is also authoritative. This is God's supernatural word to us. He speaks to us through his word. And so we look to his word to reveal himself, but also to show us what this biblical worldview is. What is it that God is telling us about reality? And then last week, if you're here, we learned about our purpose. We learned that you and I were made in the image of God for a relationship with him. That is why we exist. That's why you exist. You and I were made in the image of God to be in a relationship with him. This is the purpose of our entire life. And that's why he made everything, but specifically why he made us. But we need to talk about this world because clearly not everything is okay. And how do we begin to understand that? So to help us figure that out, uh, let's do a thought experiment this morning. Uh, In just a moment, I'm going to give you a challenge Uh, And then I'm going to give you some hypothetical power to meet that challenge. All right. I'm going to ask you to fix something. And then let's just imagine 
that I can give you infinite godlike power for three seconds. All right. So for three seconds, you will have all power in the universe in which to tackle this challenge. But you got to think quick. You only get three seconds to do so. So you ready for this? Here we go. You're about to get this enormous power. Here's the challenge. And as soon as I finish the saying the question, three seconds, you got to solve it. Ready? Here is the challenge. How would you fix the world? Go. One, two, three. Welcome back to being mortal, right? Wasn't that exciting, right? All that infinite power, and you have much larger living spaces. Look, I mean, it's an incredible thing. I, uh, what would you, what'd you do? When given the challenge, how would you fix the world? I imagine in a room this large, we would come up with a lot of different answers. What would you do if you had infinite power at your disposal? Some of you might say, uh, Adam, I fixed climate change. Or Adam, I fixed poverty. Or I fixed hunger. Or I fixed income inequality all across the world. Adam, I actually created world peace. Like, like, what did you do with infinite power at your disposal? Because whatever you did, that is revealing something about your worldview. Because whatever problem you tackled, you said, well, this is the real problem. This is the big problem. This is what's wrong in the world today. This is the problem that must be fixed above all others. That's, that's what you see. That's how you see the world. But regardless, I mean, all those are pressing issues. But what if there's something actually deeper than all of those? What if there's actually something more systemic that's wrong with the world? People have always asked this question, by the way. Uh, all throughout the centuries, people have asked this question, what's wrong with the world today? And about 130, 140 years ago, uh, a newspaper in London asked this question of its readers. And they said, what's wrong with the world today? And they invited their readers to write in their responses. You actually had to write it in. This is pre-internet, right? And so you would actually write things in. And, say, what you? and people would write essays. This is what's wrong with the world today. And G.K. Chesterton uh, gave a very simple answer. G.K. Chesterton was a super jovial, incredibly witty. He was a Christian commentator, author. He was kind of like the C.S. Lewis before C.S. Lewis. Go read some of his stuff. He's a very intriguing guy. Uh, And he wrote this in to the paper. In answer to the question, what's wrong with the world today? He simply wrote this. Dear sirs, I am yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. And that was his answer. He says, I am what's wrong with the world today. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he clearly didn't mean just he personally himself was what was wrong. He's talking about humanity. We are what is wrong with the world today. And and even deeper than that, he's pointing at something not just in humanity. We found out last week that we were created good. No, what he's pointing to is the fact that while we were created good, what we're really dealing with is sin. If you want to know the answer to the question, what's wrong with the world today? The deepest answer we can come up with is sin. Now, it's an unpopular word, but it's the accurate word, and it's what God tells us is wrong with the world. Now, now clearly, uh, this doesn't cover all pain in the world. I can't in one sermon cover all pain, tragedy, uh, illness, all these different things, but the main culprit for most of the pain and tragedy and suffering in this world is sin. And so what do we do with that? So a couple questions this morning, hopefully we can answer. The first off is this, does sin exist? If so, what is its impact? And then how do you fix it? These are things you need to understand because this colors all of our lives. Does sin exist? If so, what is its impact? 
And then if that's the case, then how do you actually fix it? So let's wrestle with that this morning. Uh, First off, let's just ask the question, what is sin? What do we mean when we talk about sin? And I think for most of us, when we talk about sin, we think about it in a very particular way. We think of it as breaking a rule, right? Sin is when we do something wrong. Here's the standard and I broke it, right? Here's the rule and I broke it. Or here's something I was supposed to do and I did not fulfill that thing. So it's a sin of omission rather than commission. All right, so we just think here's the rule and I broke it. And in your practical outworking, That kind of makes sense. Yes, there are rules and we break them and we would call that wrong. We would call that a sin. And in fact, one of the major words in scripture, both in Hebrew and in Greek, uh, the words mean missing the mark, right? So here's the bullseye and I didn't hit it, right? I was off center. I did not do what I wanted to do. I missed the mark. But these are not the only words for sin in the Bible. There's actually dozens of them. There's actually more words for evil than there is for good, And when you take all of these words in their totality, it builds out a a much richer picture of what sin is because there's actually a deeper meaning than just breaking a rule. That actually doesn't get to the heart of what sin is. Sin, when you really break it down, is this. It's the breaking of a relationship. The real problem with sin is not that we broke a rule. It's that we've broken a relationship. At its core, all sin is the breaking of a relationship. So let's think that through. Adam, how does that work? Well, let's take a sin like adultery. Adultery is when you cheat on your spouse. All right, this is evil. We all know this. This is Ten Commandments kind of stuff. Always been wrong. Okay, but that's the rule. So what's the problem with adultery? Well, you broke a rule. Well, yeah, but like that's not the big problem that you broke a rule. You made a covenant with your spouse. He said, I am choosing to be with you. I'm saving myself only for you as long as, the, uh, as long as we both shall live. This is the promise that you made. When you commit adultery, you're not simply breaking a rule. You're breaking the relationship. You have broken trust. You have severed the relationship. There's a problem here. The rule is there to kind of describe it, but that's not the deep problem. The problem is that you've broken relationship. That's the real issue. And this is true not just of like some of the larger sins that we think about. It's true for every sin. Let's talk about cheating in a much lesser sense. Let's talk about cheating on a test. Students, you ever been tempted to cheat on a test? Adults, do you remember when you were students and you were tempted to cheat on a test? Let's lower the stakes further. It's not even a test. It's a quiz. All right. We're not breaking the world. All right. This is a quiz. You come in. Do you know by the quiz? Yes. Did you study? No. All right. But you got to take it. And you're not going to make an A. You're not. You're going to make an F. And so look, this is not the big deal. It's a quiz. It's not even a test. I'm not breaking the world. I'm not breaking some huge rule. I'm just going to cheat on a test. Yes, I broke a rule, but is that big a deal? Yes, because even in this situation, it's not just the rule that you're breaking. You're breaking relationship. Because think about it. What happens when you cheat? Here's what's happened. Everybody in your class has basically made a decision together. They said, hey, we're all going to come to class. And we're going to listen and we're going to learn and then we're going to take tests and then I'm going to get a grade on that test and that grade is going to have a meaning. It's going to have meaning for us in the class. It's going to have meaning for my parents. It's going to have meaning for college admissions. It's going to have meaning. And this is the, the, the system that we're all going to abide by. When we cheat, we basically walk into the classroom and says, listen, I don't care what all you chumps are going to do, but I need an A. 
And I can't bother about having an F. And so guess what? Look, I don't care if it bothers you. Y'all can have this little system if you want, but I'm going to manipulate that system to get whatever I want because this is how I want to act. But I'm not going to act in good faith with the rest of you people. Do you see what's happening? Even with something as small as like cheating on a quiz, you're breaking relationship, not even just with the teacher, but with all your classmates too. Every sin at its core is not about breaking a rule. That's just the way you describe it. What's really happening is this. You're breaking a relationship. God is love. That's relational. Okay, so when we do not love him, okay, that's the essence of sin. We've broken relationship. Think about it biblically. Two greatest commands. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the most important commands? He says, I can boil the entire Old Testament down to two commands. You can take hundreds of commands. I can boil it down to two. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Those are relational commands. How then do you sin? I fail to love God or I break that relationship. And I fail to love my neighbor or I break that relationship. These sins are relational. Sin at its core is a breaking of relationship. What about the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus comes along and says, you guys have all heard you're not supposed to kill people or commit adultery. And they all said, yeah, we got that. We've heard that for centuries, right? Don't kill people. Don't cheat on your spouse. Got it. Jesus says, well, get this. If you have anger in your heart or lust in your heart for someone else, it is just the same as having killed them or committed adultery, to which everyone freaked out. They said, What? Wait a minute, dude. I thought I was a rule follower. I did not do this thing. I did not do this thing. So I'm good, right? Jesus says, no, it's not enough just to obey the rules. I'm talking about your heart. And if your heart still longs to do the sin, if your heart still longs to break the relationship, then we still have a problem. If outward obedience was all that was required, if just obeying rules was all that was required, well, then the Pharisees would have been fine. Jesus keeps getting mad at them. Why? Because the problem is on the inside. Sin at its core is a breaking of relationship. So with that in mind, let's now see how sin really enters the picture in Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at Genesis 1 and 2, where God created everything. And at the end, he makes Adam and Eve, mankind, puts them in a garden, and they have this great relationship. We'll look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, Lord God, among the trees of the garden." Do you see it? Do you see how it breaks relationship? Look at how Satan tempts Adam and Eve. He tempts Eve and says, did God really say that? And he said, yeah, God said, if I eat of this tree, you're going to die. He says, you're not going to die. That God's holding out on you. 
He knows things that he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to have the best things in life. You shouldn't trust him. You see, it's an attack on the relationship. And then he basically says, hey, why don't we just change the relationship? You don't have to hate God. You're not anti-God here. How about, though, instead of being under God where he makes the rules, how about you just stand next to him where you get to make your own rules? You can have the same knowledge he does, and that way you can still be partners and friends, but, but he's not in control anymore. You could actually stand on your own two feet. That sounds great, doesn't it? Let's change the relationship. But change the relationship is exactly what happens. Because when they eat of the apple and they gain this knowledge, all of a sudden it changes their relationship with one another. They are now naked and ashamed. And then when God shows up walking in the cool of the day to commune with them, they actually hide themselves from their presence instead of enjoying the Lord. Now they're afraid of the Lord. This has broken their relationship. That is the essence of sin. They know God, they love God, but they choose to reject God and say, I do not want you to be in control. I would like to have equal power, equal say. I don't want you to be Lord. I want to be Lord. I want to be standing next to. And so they break the relationship. And from this point forward, humanity goes downhill. It will start with their children. Very two, four, two boys born to Adam and Eve, one will kill the other. But amongst the first two brothers in mankind, there's murder. And then it just gets worse. They invent ways of doing evil, and this just kind of gets passed down to all of humanity. Whereas before, everything was kind of good in the garden. Now, the entire earth is kind of hard. It's not producing things like it was doing before. There is a curse upon all of mankind and even creation itself, and that has been passed down to all of us today. This is what we call original sin. We all have been uh, infected by this sin. We are born into it. We cannot help it. This is not something we kind of get to later on in life. No, we start with it. We are all under this curse. We are all sinful. Our relationship as humanity has been broken with the Lord. And this just kind of continues on down through life and nobody is excluded. So look at Romans 3.23. Notice what it says here. Bible clearly says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there are no exceptions to this rule. There's no super good Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or running around the world that says, well, everybody's a sinner except that guy, that girl. You know, they're still doing well. Maybe they, they don't make it to the end. No, 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 no. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is everybody in humanity. Okay, so that's what sin is. Sin is the breaking of relationship and we have all done that. So what is its impact? What does that mean for you and me? What does that mean for us living in this world? And, and I'm going to take a quick pause here just to make sure that we're all thinking about this as fellow sufferers. Because there's a temptation in a sermon series like this, and particularly a sermon like this, when we're up at like the 30,000 foot view. And we're just like looking at things and we're talking about the world, right? And all these big concepts to think about it in abstract terms or intellectual terms. But that's not our problem. We suffer here. I mean, look, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm keeping up with what's going on in Ukraine. I check it every day. I'm following the battles. I'm following what's going on. But I got to be honest, my daily life is not impacted by what I read. My neighbors aren't getting killed in battle. My, my friends aren't losing family members to war. Uh, places that I don't go regularly aren't being blown up on a battlefield. I'm just reading about it, but it's not impacting me on a daily basis. Sin is different. This is not sin in the world. It's sin in me. It's sin in you. 
Uh, Imagine a doctor who's doing research trying to cure cancer, a very particular kind of cancer. Well, that would be something good. But then now imagine that the reason he's researching it is because it's a cancer that he himself has. Okay, that changes things. Now it's personal. He's not just researching it for the good of humanity. He says, no, I need this. When it comes to sin, when we talk about it, this is not about sin and other people. We got to remember, this is me. This is you. This is us. This is what we are dealing with. And so what are some of the ways that sin impacts us? Let me give you four ways that sin impacts us. First off, it brings spiritual death. It brings spiritual death. Because we are sinners, we are spiritually dead. You might have noticed what Eve said. He said, yeah, we can't eat of this one tree in the garden because if we eat of it, we're going to die. Well, then she goes and eats of it. And guess what happens? She doesn't die. Whoa. What do you do with that? Was God just like throwing scare tactics down? Or did he mean it? Well, actually, he means it. So what does that mean? Well, he obviously wasn't talking about physical death because they live on for hundreds of years. He's talking about spiritual death. Adam and Eve, in the moment where they disobeyed God, where they broke this relationship, they died spiritually and they will be lost to God forever unless something changes. And there's a very simple reason. When you cut yourself off from the source of life, you can't help but die. If you take a branch and you cut it off a tree, it will not die immediately. It'll be green for a little while. But it will inevitably wither and die. It has a set trajectory. Why? Because you have cut it off from the source of life. When you and I break relationship with the source of life, we cannot help but die. And so sin brings spiritual death. Look at Romans 6.23. And notice what it says here. This is for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin brings death, period. Sin brings death always. Sin brings death, no exceptions. Doesn't matter what the sin is, large or small, in some way you are drinking death into your life when we commit sin. We are breaking relationship and it is causing things in us. It causes spiritual death. And so sin has very clear impact. Here's the second thing. We become enemies of God. We become enemies of God. Here's Romans yet again. Check it out what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. It says, if for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Did you see the two states there? You are either an enemy of God or you're reconciled to God. I am either an enemy of God or the relationship has been restored. I have reconciliation with God. I can have reconciliation through Jesus. But if I do not have that, then please understand this. Then you and I are enemies of God. I need to be very clear here. If you do not have salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. We did that because we looked at God and rebelled and said, I don't want you in charge. I don't want what you do. I'm going to do things my way. We became an enemy of God. And so if we're not saved, we exist as enemies. 
Now, that might sound weird to some of us. You go, wait a minute, Adam. You said a couple weeks ago that God loved the world. Well, how can God love the world and we be enemies of God at the same time? Well, both of those things can coexist because this is not a reciprocal relationship. Remember, we are the ones that rebelled. We are the ones that did this. So imagine it this way. I want you to imagine that you have a family member like a sister or a brother. Or if you're a parent, I want you to imagine that this is one of your children. I want you to imagine that this family member who you love dearly has just joined ISIS. All right, they got radicalized on the internet. They watched a bunch of videos. They have flown over to the Middle East. And you now know, you have confirmed proof that they are perpetrating terrorist acts on people. They are doing heinous things. They now hate you. And they say, we're happy to do these things. And we think we're right in doing them. They're doing all kinds of terrible, heinous acts. Well, they get captured and brought back to you. And you're trying to to hang out with them and take care of them. They still hate you, by the way. And so I still don't believe in you. You need to watch your back because no telling what I might do. Here's my question. How do you feel about this person? Because remember, this is your brother, your sister. This is your child. Well, on the one hand, they are your enemy. Why? Because they don't like you. They have declared themselves independent of you. They don't believe you. They don't agree with you. They have made themselves an enemy to you. And they are in a true sense an enemy. While at the same time, you still love them. This is your child, your brother, your sister. You can't just cut them off. You can't just leave them. It is possible for God to both love us and for us to be enemies at the same time. But we are the ones who have rebelled. We are the ones who made ourselves enemies of God. Here's the third thing. We are enslaved by sin. We are enslaved by sin. So sin does not simply impact us. It enslaves us. Because look, I know what some of you are thinking like going, oh, doom and gloom, you preachers. Listen, I don't want to do this thing, okay? So look, do your little religious thing. It's fine. I'm not going to go off and join ISIS, all right, or anything like that. So I just don't want to do your God stuff, right? So you do your God stuff. I won't join ISIS. And I'm just going to go live over here by myself, right? As if there was some sort of like spiritual Switzerland you can go hang out in, right? You just got your little, you're hanging out in the spiritual Alps your whole life, right? It's like, dude, you do your thing. I won't bug you. I won't go over there. And I'm just going to be over here neutral, right? Wrong. Because this place does not exist. There is no such thing as spiritual Switzerland. You are either with God or you were against him. I am either reconciled with God or I am an enemy of God. Why? Because I have been enslaved by sin. We don't have the power on our own to carve out our own little life. I was created by God, a mortal, a creature, meant to be in relationship with God. But when I reject that, I got enslaved by sin and sin now rules over me. It rules over everybody on the planet. Sin and and his, his father, Satan, rules over all the entire world. We are enslaved by sin. And that ought to make sense to us because, I mean, think about all the ways that you and I can't control ourselves. Think about uh, all the reasons why self-control is a problem, right? I mean, you ever said to yourself, I'm going to lose weight, and then you never do. I am going to eat better. I am going to exercise. I am not going to treat people like that. I won't say those words anymore. I'm going to do this instead. And then you don't do them. How could this be the case? You are in control. You are completely in control of your entire life. No one controls you. You make all the own rules. How can there ever be a time where you and I say, I can't believe I just said that. 
I can't believe I did that thing I said I'd never do again. How did I just do this? How do I find myself here? That's a really good question. How? We dropped glasses, apparently. I don't know. So, I'm so sorry. It was just the timing. It was great. It was perfect, right? I couldn't ignore it. Right? So, all right, look, look what he says in John 8. Jesus actually has uh, an answer for this. Look at John 8. It says, Then Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus is speaking. He would know. He says, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We are not in control. We, don't, we, we can control ourselves a little bit, but we are not in full control. We are enslaved by sin. Now, does that offend you? Because I'd imagine it offends some of us in the room. I'm not a slave to anybody. I do what I want. Adam, listen, I'm not listening to anybody. Nobody tells me what to do. And if you find yourself offended, you should probably know that in the context of this passage, the people who heard Jesus say this, they were offended too. Jesus was speaking to some Jewish leaders and they said, uh, we're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved by anyone, which is really weird and, and just historically wrong. I just can't believe that they actually said that to Jesus. But they're saying, look, nobody controls us. We're God's people we're not enslaved to anybody. And he says, no, 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 no. You're, you're enslaved by your father, Satan, uh, because everybody who sins is a slave to sin. What is sin done to us? It has enslaved us to where we do things we do not want to do. And then it darkens our mind. Fourthly, it darkens our mind. See, here's the problem. We're not actually seeing life clearly. We don't see the world correctly. This is how people can call evil good and good evil is because what sin has done is it is, is darkened our mind. Let me show you this in a couple places. Here's Romans 1, uh, verses 28 through 32. Paul says, and since he's talking about people who don't believe in God, he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. You see in all the words here, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Does this sound like the world we live in? Here's the problem. That's not just out there. That's us. I, I bet nobody's doing all of these things. I bet also nobody can say, I got through that list and didn't find something that we wrestle with or multiple things. We are debased in mind. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter four. We looked at this a couple weeks ago, verses 17 through 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous, having given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Why do we run after sin? Because we're darkened in our minds. You've ever wondered why good people do bad things? This is why. We get ourselves in a place where we actually think a bad thing would be a good thing. Somehow we conveniently forget that it's not a good idea to drink and drive. Or to text and drive. A hit closer to home. Or to gossip. Or to overspend. Or to do all kinds of things that we know we should not do. And yet we do. We just conveniently forget. And we make a decision to say, no, 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 this will be good. Oh, it'll work out this time. It's never worked out before. This time will be different. 
How do we do this? Smart, intelligent people, because we're darkened in our understanding. Sin literally pollutes the way we see the world. This is how you get a world system of values and ideas that sets itself up against the world. They're not all running around going, we hate God. It's just a whole system that is darkened in our understanding. This is what sin has done to us. And so put that all together. We are spiritually dead. We are enemies of God. We're enslaved to sin and we are darkened in our understanding. This is what sin has done to us. This is the impact on us. But it actually is worse than that. Because it's not just affecting me and you. It's affecting every human on the planet. So take all of those effects and multiply them by 8 billion And let all of those effects ricochet around to everybody and you get the world we live in. When sin exists amongst a society of people, it creates systemic evil. You can actually see this in the book of Judges. If you think today is tough, just please understand it's always been terrible. The world has always been terrible. Go read the book of Judges if you dare. It's a good scary book for Halloween. All right? Go read the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, God has just given everybody what they wanted. Israel's got a promised land. Everything's great. But then Joshua dies. And then here's the theme of the book of Judges. They say it over and over again. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Is that not the mantra of today? Relativism. Everybody gets to create your own right and wrong. Create your own reality. Just do whatever you think is right. And it goes from bad and it just descends into madness. In the book of Judges, it starts with lies and deceit. It will then lead to murder. It will lead to rampant lust. It will lead to people being dismembered and the body parts being sent as warnings to other places in the country to the end of the book is actually a a whole episode of mass kidnapping and sex trafficking. All done by the people of God. Do you know why? Because everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Left to our own devices. Sin has broken us. And it actually creates systems that continue to break people. What happens when sinful people create sinful systems and then those systems exist for generations? What happens is they just kind of build up a full head of steams that can literally just steamroll entire peoples. And it's been going on for centuries. This is the world that we live in. Not an individual, not a particular group. It's all of us. A world system of values and ideas that sets itself up against the Lord. But it's actually worse than that. Like, oh my gosh, seriously? Yes, it's actually worse than that because it doesn't just affect you and society. It actually even affects the world that we live in. Like the physical world that we live in. This is Romans chapter 8. Notice what it says here. Paul speaking. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who had the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. It is not just us who were impacted. The world itself was impacted. 
This is where you get disease. This is where you get natural disasters. This is where you get the world that we live in. Because remember, we had dominion over this world. And then we got enslaved and the world came with us. It's enslaved to corruption too. Because we are. And so this is not the way the world's supposed to be. This is not the way it's supposed to exist. It was created good. But it's corrupted just like we are. And so this is why we can't ignore sin. It's because it has affected me. It's affected you. It's affected all of, our, all of humanity. It's affected the world that we have lived in. And so the question is, do you believe that? I just showed you a ton of scripture. I mean, this is what the Bible teaches us about the nature of sin. Do we believe this? Because let's be honest, some of us don't. The world clearly doesn't. The world will look at this and say, nope, don't buy it. I do not believe in sin. Adam, I, do not, I don't accept your premise. I don't accept that I'm created. I do not believe in that. And the world's just going to come up with uh, objections. And they're just going to say, no, no, no. I, don't, I refuse to believe in the concept of sin. And here's some of their objections. They'll say things like this. I should be free to do whatever I want. No one tells me what to do. Adam, I'm not a slave to anybody. And so, listen, you don't tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. But I should be free to make my own decisions. I should be free to not have these external ideas of right and wrong imposed upon me. I should be free to be able to do whatever I want to do. To which I will ask, why? Why? Why should you be free to do anything? Who told you that? Who said this was an inalienable human right? We're all just atoms flying around in the cosmos. No purpose. Nothing, no reason we're here. Blind, pitiless indifference. So why should you be free to do anything? Why should anybody be free to do anything? Evolution didn't tell you that. So where did we get this idea of freedom? Why do we feel that way? And yet we do. Because we're not random. And because there is right and wrong. And it is outside of us. It doesn't come from inside of us. And so look, there is a desire of freedom there. We should be free, but we are not. Why? Because we are actually enslaved to sin. Here's the second thing people say. Sin isn't real. Adam, listen, I, you were just one of the latest in a long line of governments and religious people who use sin as a social construct to control the masses. This is what sin is. You're just trying to keep me down. You're just trying to keep your control. And that's all sin is. This whole concept of right and wrong was invented by people like you. So that you can just keep people down, but sin actually isn't real. Which is a thing a lot of people say, until somebody sins against them. You ever notice this? People are fond of saying, sin isn't real, until someone steals from them. And they're like, hey, that was wrong. I'm sorry, what? Until somebody hurts them physically. Hey, go arrest them. Uh, they were just living out their truth. That was their right. Or somebody lies about them online or trashes them publicly in order to get ahead in their company. You got to stop them. That was, that was not right. That was, that was hurtful. Well, they're just living out their truth. You see, their truth and their right and wrong is they should get ahead by all means necessary. So they're actually acting in accordance with their right and wrong. You just don't like it. But they shouldn't hurt other people. Again, why? You keep saying these should words. Who's making these rules? Who makes these up, these universal rules that everybody's supposed to do? Where are you getting these if everything is just made up? Because if everything's made up and there's no such thing as sin, there's no external reality, well then there is no external authority, so why are you angry? It's just going to happen, man. 
So when people say sin's not real, we don't actually live that way. Nobody actually lives this way. Here's the third thing people say. They'll say this. Yeah, but Adam, my sin's not hurting anybody. My sin's not hurting anybody. Adam, listen, I, I'm not doing these other things, and I actually do believe that. And, and my sin's not hurting anybody, and, and so it's okay for me to do this. Don't tell me what I can and cannot do in the privacy of my home, because my sin is not hurting anybody. Here's what we just learned about sin. Sin is the breaking of a relationship, which means this. There is no such thin, sin that doesn't hurt somebody. Ever. No such sin. There is no sin that doesn't actually end up hurting somebody. If you've ever been to AA yourself, or you've had a family member go to AA, you might be familiar with the 12 steps. They're very helpful. They're actually the most effective method for people dealing with alcoholism. But if you actually read the 12 steps, they're hard. One of them is this. You have to make a fearless moral inventory. You ever done that before? Like sat down and really laid out, here's what I've done wrong. I have to admit that I have actually done wrong and here's how it actually hurt people. See, here's what people don't understand. Whenever we sin, it has ripple effects through all of our relationships and you don't get to control them. And they go a lot farther than we ever ever think they do. In AA, you actually have to have to make a fearless moral inventory where I admit, hey, I did these things and it actually did hurt these other people. Another step is this. Then I have to make amends. If it's within my power and it wouldn't hurt them, I need to make amends to them. I have to not only admit that I've done wrong, I have to do my best to make up for that wrong. Which is why people don't go to AA. Who wants to do that? That sounds terrible. Admit that I'm wrong? Admit that I'm powerless? Admit I need God's help? Admit that, yeah, I actually did hurt other people. This sounds terrible. And yet it's the only path to freedom. So this idea, my sin's not hurting anybody, it actually does just in ways apparently we have not thought about. Uh, here's, here's John chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus speaks to this right after John three sixteen. He says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. I don't want anybody looking at what I'm doing because then I have to admit I'm wrong. And I hate admitting that I'm wrong. So I just won't do it. Let's just pretend sin doesn't exist. And yet it does. Here's the final thing. It's just not that big a deal. People say, sin's just not that big a deal. Adam, look, you're just making a mountain out of a molehill. This is not that big of a deal, but it is. How do we know? Because what the God of the universe says is this. The only way to bring you back is for my son to die for you. Jesus Christ comes to save us from our sins. And the only way to save us was not to give us a couple words of advice or to give us a second chance or to encourage us a little bit or to help us or even be present. He says, no, I'm going to have to give my very life. I will die on the cross to pay for your sins. That's how much of a big deal it is. If sin wasn't that big of a deal, why in the world would God go through that? Why would he suffer all of that? Because this was the only way home. Sin is so much bigger than we ever want to admit. It's just painful. It's embarrassing. It hurts our pride. But it actually does cause a big deal. And we can't fix it. So there's that final question. What do you do to fix it? Well, we can't. I can't. You can't. We can't fix it. But praise be to God that there is good news in Jesus Christ. Look at Mark chapter 1. This is the beginning of the gospel. 
right at the beginning of the Gospel of, John, of Mark, rather, it says this. Now, after John, that's John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That word gospel means good news. What's the good news? The good news is that even though we are sinful, even though we are enemies of God, we are spiritually dead, we are enslaved to sin, God has not abandoned us. But even though we don't offer him anything, we have been his enemies, he sends his son to us. And though we can't make it up to him, we can't fix ourselves, he is going to give his life in exchange for ours, which means in Jesus Christ, through his grace, through his forgiveness, there is a pathway back where I actually have a reconciliation with God. I can have life with him again that extends on into eternity. I can be forgiven of all my sins even though I myself cannot fix it. Jesus will by his death and resurrection and in him I can have eternal life. That's good news. But the pathway is repentance. And here's another uncomfortable, unpopular word. Because the path is this. How do I go from being an enemy to being reconciled? I repent. I have to stop, admit that I am a sinner, turn around and admit to God, God, you are right and I was wrong. I'm a sinner and you are the one true God. God, I I can't fix myself. Will you help me? And I turn away from my sin and I ask God to do the miraculous. I ask him to save me, transform me, and to accept me back into a relationship where I recognize that you are God and I am not. And we find ourselves adopted as sons and daughters again. Listen, this is crucial to salvation. I've met some people throughout the years. They'll say this, well, Adam, I've always had a relationship with God. That's actually not true. You've always known about God. You've been aware of God. But when we were born, we were born as sinners. We are born into a sinful world as a sinful people. And the only way that gets changed is when you and I turn and ask the Lord to save us voluntarily. We lay down our arms. We stop being enemies and say, God, I surrender. And then God takes us back, transforms us to where we get to live out our created purpose again. That is the essence of salvation. Look, if you've never had a time in your life where you repented, you turned from your sin, admitted it, and asked God to save you, you need to check your salvation. Because salvation is not about trying hard or obeying rules. It's about being in a relationship with God. And I cannot have that unless I have a relationship with Jesus Christ who loves me, gave his life for me, and purchased a way back for me to be reconciled with him. How do you find life in a sinful world? You find it in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So what's wrong with the world? Sin is. Who deals with it? We do. And how do you fix it? We can't. But there is great news in Jesus Christ that he loves you. He has not abandoned you. He has not forgotten about you. And no matter who you are or what you have done, you can be reconciled with him because of the grace, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So do this one. Back heads and close your eyes for just a moment.
Look, it's not comfortable to talk about sin. It's just not. But we have to. We can't admit that it's not real. We can't admit that it doesn't have impact because it's killed and is killing all of us. But there's so much hope that doesn't have to come through your effort or what you can do, but instead just comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I wonder if you need to repent today. Repent and believe. Not just show up, try to be a good person, move along, but repent and believe. Some of you might be believers. Says Adam, I know I've given my life to God. I know I have a relationship with him, but truth be told, my my heart's been drawn back towards sin. I'm still wrestling with this sin. And and, and you know what? I've I've been deceived. I I got myself into a place where I, I called evil good again. Well, what you need to do is repent. Admit it and turn and say, God, I'm sorry. I need help. Help me. And you will never be turned away. You don't have to do that to stay saved. You don't have to do it to keep your salvation. You have it. You're not going to lose it. But the relationship's kind of messed up. What happens if you repent today and say, God, I don't want there to be anything between us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's be reconciled. Or maybe you're here today. Maybe you're just finding out about Jesus for the first time, or maybe you've been in church for a while and you can play the game. You look great. But man, this is all about you. And we've got our own rules of what we say is right and wrong. And we've never come to a place where we recognize I am broken and sinful and I cannot change without the help of a God Almighty. And the good news of the gospel is that he loves you. He's speaking to you. And even right now, you can put your faith in him. So why would you do it? Even right now, put your faith in him and say, Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner, but that you still love me and that you can give me life in you. So change me, help me. But I need you to be God. And for me to be son or daughter, Father, help me, forgive me. I want new life in you. Tell him that by faith in your heart. And the Bible says, by grace, you're saved through faith. And find new life in him today. So we're gonna spend some extended time in worship. These altars are going to be open and maybe you want to come up and pray and say, I need to repent. P.S. That's all of us in the room. Nobody's excluded. Or maybe you say, Adam, I need to give my life to Jesus. And I just need somebody to pray with me. I'd love to pray with you right here up front. But let's choose to respond to the God who came after us, though we were sinners. And so, Father, help us. Speak to us. Thank you for not abandoning us in our sin. But not not being so repulsed by it, you just turned your head away. But instead, you came down in the midst of it with us and then paid for it all. You took it all upon yourself that we might have new life in you. God, we love you. We need you. I pray for anybody in this room who doesn't have a real relationship with you. Father, may today be the day they put their faith in you. And for all my brothers and sisters that are being enticed by sin as we constantly are by this world. Father, can you draw us back to you in repentance that we might walk head held high in your presence yet again. We love you. In your name we pray.